Many newspapers have called it the greatest club game ever. The strength of Munster Rugby has always been the big boys up front. I'm actually really, really excited for it. The Red 78 with Alan Quinlan and Neve Briggs. Subscribe to the Rugby Channel on the OTB Sports app and turn on your notifications now. Now you're welcome along. Tuesday evenings off the ball. So it would seem Stephen Cluxton has retired, or certainly... Desi Farrell said over the weekend he wouldn't be involved with the dubs this year. Either way, in effect, it amounts to the same thing from an inter-county point of view. So we will chat to Colm Keyes and Billy Joe Padden about, well, I think we can say he's the footballer of the century thus far as he bows out aged 40. After 8 o'clock then, something very different. We're talking Charles Hawhey. Charles Hawhey and sport with DCU Professor of Politics Gary Murphy, who's written a new biography of Hawhey. And then after 9 o'clock, Philippe Clare on the chronic issue at this stage of crowd trouble in French football this season. Things bad in the extreme on that front. So Philippe is on the way after nine. Text number 53106. We're at off the ball on Twitter. Richie McCormick along for the evening. Hello. Here we go. Very well. And Dan McDonnell of the Irish Independent, of course. Hello, Dan. Hi, Joe. How are things? Yeah, very well. So I know you'll be listening to the football show after nine. Hawhey or uh, Cluxton, what takes your fancy earlier on in the proceedings? Well, I'd, I'd be interested because I, I, I haven't read the Hawhey book yet, um, but I did listen to a lengthy interview with Gary Murphy about it recently. I think it was uh, Mick Clifford in The Examiner. Um, so I'm sort of interested to see where you're going to go with it because I haven't read the book and um, I'd be aware of sort of his horse racing interests and how he sort of got involved in that sphere. I think he had a horse flashing steel that won the Irish Grand National. Um, but I'm, I don't know where else you're going to go. What, what else are you going to tell me? The Cluxton, I mean, as I said, I'm not the biggest uh, Gaelic Games fan, but I do find Cluxton a fascinating character too. Two, two enigmatic characters in very different ways, it has to be yeah. said. I'm not sure about lumping them into the same category. No. Um, but um, yeah, yeah. Well, um, Hawhey, the jump off point for Hawhey is that Arthur outside just mentioned, well, everybody I think is aware the biography was out. And when you think of two of the great Irish sporting moments, the moments that enraptured the country, Stephen Roach in 87 oh, yeah. and Italia 90 in Rome. Well, I guess Rome was less celebratory, but you take the point anyway, Italia 90. Uh, Hawhey's on the podium with Roach and he's marching around the track in Rome with Jack Jordan. So we'll, we'll touch on that, I suspect. And then, well, it turns out Hawhey had a genuine interest in sport. He won a county title, Dublin County title with Parnells in 1945. His brother played in the All-Ireland Final of 55 for Dublin. It turns out he uh, had a temper on the field, was suspended for a year from GEA and then never ever went back. And you mentioned the horses and the hunting uh, was uh, certainly into his GEA. Never into rugby, never warmed to rugby, turned down IRFU tickets apparently. So that's kind of our jumping off point. I mean, we may well not talk only about sport, but we just thought we would get Gary Murphy on and see where it goes, Dan. It may not go very far. We may get the full 35 minutes out of it. Who knows? He tried to... uh, uh, Sorry, he tried to, yeah. yeah. He tried. He tried to almost weapon. Weaponize is probably the wrong word, but he tried to use sport in the same way that we kind of see, you know, Eastern European or African despots try to use it now. In that, he glommed onto it in an effort to, you know, increase his own brand or improve his own brand and to make you know brand Ireland seem like a thing. And like there's brilliant pictures as well. Like Dan, remember, I think it was in was it in the Irish football documentary in RT recently where he sat having cans with Charlie Bird watching Ireland at Euro 88 
there's all this kind of stuff to make him seem like he's more of a man of the people but it was always brilliantly skewered in Scrap Saturday especially when they're talking about cycling where he does these pieces where he there used to be like these pieces on, on 98FM involving Ronnie Drew about being a true dub and these ones are always all about Charles Hockey being a true sportsman and how he was related to Eddie Merckx and how he was related to all these people who would climb Mont Ventoux and all this in the Tour de France and that he was a cycling man to the core whereas in actual fact like anything else in, in Hockey's life he was trying to use it to move from stone A to stone B but you know in certain aspects he did it pretty well Mm. Yeah, I think the. I, I mean, I actually am disappointed that the first thing that didn't come to mind was, of course, some of the shameless uh, photo ops stuff. But then I think in a way, I suppose we've become so conditioned to all our politicians doing that, that you forget that, I suppose. Like, I was just trying to think there, like, what would have been the big Irish international success story events prior to, uh, say, the late 80s when you had the Tour de France, as you say, and when you had um, Euro 88 and so on, like Italian. 90. I suppose like clearly there would have been a, a deep link with the intercounty game and you know various people would have had a an affiliation you know I would have wanted to have been seen but I suppose on that stage that was where it moved to the next level and then of course we went on to Bertie and the stadium stuff and um, now we just come to expect it you know around sort of World Cup bids or whatever it might be like I mean you say they didn't have much time for rugby but I'm guessing we're thinking that if if, if he had somehow been in situ in you know for the first grand slam of the sort of the modern era i think you know he, he would have been there for that i'm sure in some shape or form you know mm. he would have got over it, i'd say yeah um but i mean it is i suppose like i i did a piece recently like in, in one of the one of the lockdowns the first one that actually was just looking at say the the political relationship with the the irish major tournament days and i went through the archives and it really was just sort of I mean, it was shameless stuff, but it, it served the purpose. You know, we still have the legacy of it now to some degree around sort of tournament bids and stuff where sport is a great press release for someone. You know, it's a mm-hmm. great way to, 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 to sort of humanize yourself in some way or put yourself out there. And I guess he, you know, he, he recognized, as Richie alluded to, he always knew whatever was away. And yeah. uh, this, was, this was where the people, were t- the heads were turned. Get yourself there. I'm sure we'll veer away from sport a little bit with Gary as well, just because the Hawhey story is so fascinating. I haven't had a chance to read the book. I hate doing pieces when I haven't read the book. I tend to avoid them, but uh, we'll persevere anyway. One point I did read is that, so uh, broadly here, this is a very kind of a, a, a broad and, and, and blunt summation, but 1960s, things are very promising for Hawhey, Minister for Finance, Minister for Justice. Things are going very well. Then there's the arms trial in 1970. And so for a lot of the 70s, there's a degree of just having to rehabilitate himself and Fianna Fáil and serve his time. And then when he becomes Taoiseach in 79, he is in debt to AIB to the tune of one million pence, punts. He's one million in debt. Now, one million is a lot of money now. One million in 1979 is an absolute fortune. And it seems, and I, like, chat to Gary about this, but like it seems there's almost a, a face-to-face meeting where, in effect, he's pretty much saying to AIB, do you really want me as an enemy? Do you think that would be a good idea? And so the debt was allowed to continue on through the 80s. And his checkbook, which is how he funded the painting and the horses and everything else, the checkbook, uh, well, anything he wrote, it was always uh, cashed, no problem. And then, of course, there were the private donations, Ben Dunn and Dermot Desmond and others. But uh, absolutely extraordinary, because I don't know about, I mean, we're similar ages, 
Richie, I guess uh, my mm. memory of Ahi is when I was young and, you know, sitting through the 6-1 or the 9 o'clock news is this old man emerging from a tribunal every day and his reputation utterly, utterly uh, shattered. You know, that's the kind of mm. unquenchable image almost of, of Ahi which endures. Yeah, I have a couple of years on you. So I remember the the champagne years uh, for Charlie Hawley, like, you know, the latter end of it, albeit. But yeah, I definitely remember him as the the figure in Irish public life um, for not only him leading the country, but also because of his extracurricular activities, which would extend to sport, which would extend to buying islands. And there was just always that sense of where's where's your money come from charles yeah like how how are you affording this how are you how are you how are you bankrolling this and yet i think he was always struck by an inferiority complex because his predecessor of course in in fianna fall and t-shirt was was jack lynch who'd obviously been a, a herder for for cork and i think i, I think how he felt he felt short in some way that he wasn't able to match that and so the best that he could do probably was to you know attach himself to as many sporting wins as he possibly could and the late 80s was a kind of a feckin' time for Ireland for that to happen between Roach and between uh, Jack Charlton's Ireland and there were others as well so uh, yeah it'd be, it'd be an interesting thing to hear from Gary yeah. what he actually made and what his relationship was with sports on a on a personal level because it seems like it was equity for him to to get ahead in public life more than anything else from the from this view well that's on the way after eight o'clock philippe on the way after nine uh, huge issues with crowd trouble in france this year so certainly 10 games have had very very serious incidents we've had missiles on the pitch and a few serious incidents of missiles on the pitch dimitri payet hit with a water bottle in the face at uh, one game Leon Marseille Leon were Dr. Point then uh, most recently uh, Leon against Paris Paris FC in the cup both teams thrown out of the competition because uh, fans came out of the stands went onto the pitch flares thrown full on fights going on uh, Leon fans are barred from attending away matches for the rest of the season in all domestic competitions We've had missiles thrown at Montpellier, at Metz, at Parc de France, and fans at two different games have invaded the fields and had a scrap, I think, effectively. So the uh, president of French League, Vincent Labrun, was asked about this. He's putting it down to the pandemic a touch. He's saying people are anxious, worried, fractured, argumentative, and I have to say, a little crazy is his (laughs) (laughs) summation of things. In other quarters, the lack of security at grounds has been criticised. So that is on the way with Philippe. And then we'll be on to Stephen Cluxton, who, I mean, I think has retired, Dan. He hasn't released a statement. Desi Farrell said at the weekend, Stephen won't be involved this year. Wasn't involved last year. He's not one for big announcements, as you know. No fanfare, no official announcements from him in that regards. But Stephen won't be involved this year. And I think out of respect to him, we need to let him live his life and we need to do our own thing. We know the position. Hopefully, hopefully everybody else does at this stage as well. Is that a, re- a retirement statement? Listen, I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to pretend to know uh, the mind of Stephen Cluxton, but I mean, I've read some pretty good pieces <laughs> on it over the last, Dan, last Dan, year. Dan, nobody is pretending to know the mind of Stephen Cluxton, exactly. so you're, you're in the majority. But I, I guess, but I guess my point is, yeah. I just suspect he's not going to be one of those that's going to take out his notes on his phone and like type out, you know, type <laughs> out a big thing on his notes or this sort of more Premier League one where you do that, but then you get it put up on a pretty fancy font or something, you know, with a sort of a big 
backdrop. Now, I could be wrong. I could be completely wrong. Maybe something like that will come. But it strikes me more likely that there'd be like a, a one a one line thing, you know, thanks when, the fans. With, with, with ends being in it somewhere at the end of it, and that's it. Been a brief one. I could be wrong. I could be absolutely completely wrong. Like maybe Cluxton's been fooling everyone, and like he's going to come out and have the best media career of all time now because no one's heard from him for years. I just I doubt it. You know, yeah. I mean, it's severely doubted from what you're thinking. The slight elephant in the room here, Richie, and this is, you know, we, we as Dan, to extend Dan's point, really, we don't really know very much about what's going on with Cluxton. But the reporting last year was certainly that he was training with Dublin at the start of the year. And then there was the training ban during or the, the, the breaking of the training ban during COVID. And then suddenly he didn't seem to be involved and that seemed to run on right up until almost including the All-Ireland semi-finals. So to what extent that has played into his thinking, we don't know. On the other hand, he is 40 years of age. So, you know, it's not like retirement was far away. Anyway, footballer of the century, I think we can say. Um, In terms of how he's influenced the game, in in terms of his play, like he'd he'd be a contender. Like, absolutely, he'd be a contender. My one one worry, and I know he's not one for statements, as Desi Farrell said there, and he's not going to get the notes up out, as Dan mentioned. But, like, if you're Evan Comerford, you would kind of welcome the bit of security that would come with knowing that you are actually Dublin's number one now. Like, he might be told that by Desi Farrell, and that's fine. But to the rest of the world, there is still that question mark of if he has a bad game or two in the Leinster Championship, would there be clamour? And I'm not saying, like, you know, because Dublin are, are, are forced to be reckoned with regardless anyway. But if he does have a bad game, like, or if he does have a bad game in the league, and there might be a bit of a clamour for Cluxton to come back, you'd need that degree of certainty from his perspective to know that, no, listen, I can come through this and I am the number one. Almost in a way, the, the, the same way David Ford was, was kind of treated, I guess, in an Ireland jersey when Shea Given was retired and then parachuted back in, into the squad for Euro 2012. It kind of seemed a little bit unfair that, you know, this guy who, for all intents and purposes, was out of the scene and was coaxed back because things weren't going well. I, it, there's nothing to say that the same thing will, will replicate here. But just that degree of surety, I'd imagine for Comerford would be would be something welcome. But yeah, like in, in terms of what he's brought to the scene for Dublin, in terms of what he's brought from an overall perspective for Gaelic football, brilliant. I had one encounter with him as well, which kind of goes against everything that, you know, the public view of, of Stephen Cluxton. I think it was a Stephen's Day round in my in-laws and he was going door to door with the three trophies that Dublin had accrued that year. You know, looking for anybody who wanted to get their photos taken with them, and of course, Govins here was was one of them. Um, but yeah, like he's he's a very uh, genial, very kind, uh, soft spoken, obviously, but a, a decent sort, and not necessarily the the misery guts that some people would like to portray him as being. Yeah, I'm sure. So let's start the news round. And Steve tweets me to say that Charles I gave every kid a free toothbrush when he was minister for health. So there you are. The news round is as ever with thanks to Gillette. Put your best face forward with our new and improved razors. Richie, you are starting with Johan van Gran. He's been talking about all the pressure and comments surrounding his position over the last week or so. Yeah, and the Munster head coach has shrugged off suggestions that he could walk away from Munster before the end of the season. The South African, of course, takes over at Bath next term, almost five years with Munster. He's been. Recent performances have led some Munster alumni to suggest that Van Graan should go, but speaking ahead of Friday's Heineken Champions Cup trip to Castro, Van Graan told OTV Sports he's determined to leave Munster on a high. Uh, everybody on, on this call, uh, everybody at the clubs knows my heart. Um, I started here on the 19th of November in 2017 and I've loved every minute of it. I've put in my heart and soul together with everybody at Munster in, in this club. Uh, we're a united group. Uh, the most important thing is, is people. 
I don't want the next six months every week to be about me. Yes, I'm leaving. I've given my reasons. I've got incredible respect for Munster Rugby and the Irish system, and I'll continue to do my very best till the last day that I leave here. And as I've said before, um, I see myself as a Munster man. My daughter was born here. Um, I'll always refer back to Munster as my club, and um, I've done my best every single day that I've been here. It's quite interesting because one of the criticisms I've heard elsewhere, Richie, is that Van Grand's lacked a bit of emotion and almost a display of investment in Munster. So he certainly moved there to reassure everyone on that front, I think. Yeah, absolutely. He was he was pretty passionate about talking about how, what he wants to bring to Munster for these last six six months. He doesn't want it to be all about him, and he wants to see them succeed. He's talking about staying on till June when the when the United Rugby Championship playoffs will take place, and uh, who knows, possibly some, some success in Europe as well. Uh, but sticking with Munster, Peter Romani and John Klein both set to return for Friday's trip to France. Meanwhile, Simon Zebo is going to face a disciplinary panel tomorrow after his red card that he received against Ulster in the URC. So Leinster have Montpellier at the weekend. Some injury news there. Yeah, Dan Levy's hopes of an Ireland comeback have been dashed by yet another injury. The Leinster flanker will be out for at least two months after requiring surgery on a wrist injury. Meanwhile, Leinster confirmed that two players are isolating due to COVID-19. Uh, prior to this weekend's Champions Cup visit of Montpellier to the RDS, one of those is a close contact. The top 14 club, meanwhile, revealed that three more of their players have tested positive, but they are pressing ahead with preparations for Sunday's game. This news round is a Dan McDonald nightmare because it's rugby <laughs> all the way, frankly. He's spitting on the ground. He can't believe he's listening to yeah it's me and me me and charlie like oh yeah yeah i mean i never hear bad words said about them what does it say about you and charlie that you dislike rugby and love the horses yeah well that's about the height of it really to be honest joe i'm not sure where else you want to take this as a theory but um what else do dan and charlie have in common 53106 let's say i don't don't own any islands unfortunately okay Um, no islands i mean i'm open to them do we, we, we expensive shirts um, well, I mean, reworn though, you know, okay. like, you know, if you get an expensive shirt, you can wear it to every big event for the next couple of years. I can't imagine that would have been his thing. Like I did hear about the book, like, uh, one of the interesting parts was, I think that they, they were big into their dinner parties long before the hotties, the hotties were big into their dinner long before anyone else in like society here. Like they were, they were way ahead of the curve, you know? Mm. Um, so they liked the, the good things in life, but, um, I, I, I really don't want to make this comparison and take it further, John. <laughs> uh, so, uh, the reason there is more rugby news is it's significant, Richie, I suppose. The EPCR have just had a job on their hands all season trying to navigate their way through this tournament. There were a bunch of matches, people might remember, postponed, mm. so not cancelled. They were postponed in round two because there was, uh, I suppose, uh, the, the French and the English were having a bit of a standoff over unessential travel and so a bunch of English French ties were postponed it now seems they've moved into the cancellation territory they have they've confirmed that those postponed matches from round two won't be rearranged instead the five games will be recorded as nil-nil draws all five fixtures involve French teams taking on their counterparts from the UK they said a distinction was drawn between those matches involving travel restrictions and others where teams much like Leinster were beset by Covid infections hence that 28-0 bonus point victory from Montpellier prior to Christmas Okay, Uh, good news Dan another rugby story this has turned into a record it is indeed. Uh, Connacht will be without Mac Hansen for their game uh, with Leicester at the sports ground on Saturday. The wingers aggravated a calf injury in training. And half Jack Carty will be available for selection after being replaced in their New Year's Day win over Munster. Connacht took a losing bonus point from their trip to Welford Road before Christmas. And head coach Andy Friend believes they can do even better at the weekend. 
Yeah, well, I think we've got to take the positive elements out of that uh, where we did cause some trouble, whether it was off our line speed in defence or whether it was our our uh, consistency in, in uh, our kicking game um, and dealing with their kicking game, uh, with it, with it, whether it was with our attack and, and the way we attacked. Um, but again, you know what's coming. You've got a, a, a Leicester Tigers who there's a reason that they've only lost one game this year and, and uh, probably shouldn't have lost that either um, in watching the game. But uh, yeah, credit to Wasps, they they managed to, to to hold them out for 80 minutes. So yeah, we've got to be us. Um, we've got to be better at being us. And if we can do that, uh, I think we can hurt them. There we are. Now uh, sit tight there, Dan, for a second. Richie wants to bring us some rugby news. Richie? Uh, Robert Balakoon could return for Ulster's game away to Northampton. The Ireland winger hasn't played since suffering a shoulder injury in the province's first European game of the season at Claremont. However, John Cooney and James Hume both doubtful for that game at Franklin's Gardens having collected respective calf and hamstring problems in the defeat to Munster. Dan, what interested you the most out of all that rugby news? Well, um, <laughs> the, well, to be honest, right, I did find that the whole uh, the cancellations of the European Cup and all this because we were talking about this before Christmas on the show. One morning, I was in with Johnny, and like the whole Leinster Montpellier cancellation thing, which I found a bit head scratching as to how they were going to police it over time. And I, I don't know, has any has this managed to clear it up in any respect? No, but, not uh, really. So it does seem particularly unfortunate yeah. uh, how it was handled at that stage, and it does appear to be gearing up for. Uh, I mean, it's not going to, it's going to be a slightly messy one by the sounds of it. So I was quite interested in that, I have to say. There you go. Uh, no, very messy. You are right. It's it's an incredibly difficult run for that tournament in its new format over the last two years. Now, uh, the Djokovic situation, Richie, I don't know where we are at this stage. Now, fresh questions over when Novak Djokovic tested positive for COVID-19. In pleading his case to be allowed to compete at the Australian Open, it was said that the world number one tested positive on December 16th. Djokovic was subsequently pictured in the following days, maskless, meeting children and other various dignitaries. But Der Spiegel today say the timestamp for the digital version of his positive test is co- it comes from St. Stephen's Day. Australian Immigration Minister Alex Hawke still has the power to deport the nine-time Australian Open champion. Dan, what's your overall sense of this whole story, this, phenom- I mean, a, this phenomenon? It's incredible, really. I mean, and it's one of those ones as well with the time difference. Like you go to bed every night and you wake up and you just don't know where, where this might have gone during the night. And as, as Richie said, you're always waiting for like the twist. And I was reading that their Spiegel investigation would seem to be in conjunction with someone else. Or I was reading a sort of a lengthy enough thing on it there. And I mean, it's, it's extremely detailed how they've managed to go into it and ascertain um, the, you know, the time stamping of the, the COVID certificates in, in certain in Serbia but I don't know like I mean where 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 can it naturally go from here I mean I, I don't know where where the, the the easy resolution is in every scenario and it just seems to be one of these great modern day debates where everyone's views are more entrenched as they go on um, and is anyone going to change their position? I mean, it does seem like the focus has switched to aspects of Australian uh, immigration law, some of which is a pretty mad, really, mm-hmm. when you think that the, you know, the minister effectively has like a sort of a, can be a god almost, like godlike powers to do what they want, which, okay, we're talking about a sort of a, a rich, uh, you know, sports star who will be fine, whatever happens here. But I'm guessing in other people's lives, um, it isn't so fun to be so object to those decisions um but i don't know i mean like i assume there's a documentary already in production with someone on this and what do they want they probably want
want him to play, don't they? And be the pantomime villain in the tournament or something. Like, yeah. but uh, I don't know. This Der Spiegel thing does seem very significant, but is that even going to matter? Like, and change the opinion of any of Novak's fans? It, it probably won't. Like, he no. seems to have a sort of a free reign almost to do what he wants uh, in Serbia, where he's going to be the he's going to run the place someday. It seems so. I mean, I don't know. I don't know. It's it's fascinating, but 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 it's sort of probably going to fatigue people at a certain point. But I don't know. All these fresh twists just keep us keep us reading, doesn't it? Yeah, it's pure uh, fodder, isn't it? Just a, a fiasco, really. I mean, I, I presume if it turns out he had COVID on a different date to what he put in his form, then that could pretty much cement the case, Richie, and he's gone. Mm. That's the thing. If, if if it turns out he's lied to Australian authorities, um, then they don't like that. His bags and out. No, they don't take kindly to it, uh, especially after the the pantomime that we've had over the weekend. So yeah. if Alex Hawke does see that, find, found out that there's a ten day discrepancy, um, then I think it's bye bye Djokovic. From their point of view, politically, that's the easiest way out of this. You know, it's like, well, he lied, so it's an open and shut case now. So this isn't us yeah. politicking. So I'd say they would jump at that one. Fellas, we're out of time. Richie McCormick, thank you. Nice one. Dan McDonald, thanks very much. I know you're on Thursday with Nathan. Cheers, Dan. Thanks, lads. Cheers.